At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Monday, June 13th, and Jack, we're just going to tee you up on Tony La Russa for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. But no, we got a little bit more to talk about also. The best team ever constructed. I was told that Tennessee was the best team ever constructed in college baseball history. Uh, they lose to Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish are going to the College World Series. Uh, I've really enjoyed the Super Regionals. We're going to talk a little bit about Walker Bueller uh, and, and what his injury means for the Dodgers, as well as Aaron Judge and how he is just making baseball look extremely easy. Uh, but again, Tony La Russa, Jack McMullen. Yeah, what about him? <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing about Tony. There have been two managers fired in Major League Baseball this year, both of which have been named Joe. The third one should not be named Joe. That's kind of where my thoughts end on Tony La Russa. <laughs> um, I love that guaranteed rate field, formerly known as U.S. Cellular Field, which I still call it, uh, started a fire Tony chant on Saturday, Friday or Saturday. Um, yep. Because it's clear as day. And when we had Matt Spiegel on a couple of weeks ago um, to talk about the White Sox ineptitude in certain spaces, it starts and stops with Tony. I mean, like it starts and stops with the loyalty hires of Jerry Reinsdorf. And I've done this song and dance with Kenny Williams for a long time. Um, Rick Hahn was a saving grace for the White Sox. And the, you know, instead of like wallowing in mediocrity, Rick Hahn decided to tear it down, start a legitimate rebuild, and then put together one of the most exciting rosters in all of Major League Baseball. He's, a, he's incredible at his job. I want him to be the general manager of the White Sox for, for the foreseeable future. You can only do so much when the manager continues to shoot you in the foot literally every day, and you don't let the wounds heal. Uh, that's Tony. Apparently, Liam Hendricks wasn't available in a 12-inning game yesterday, but He's available tonight when they open the series in Detroit. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, yeah, they're dealt bad hands consistently. Like Keuchel went down, or uh, not Keuchel, thank God Keuchel's DFA, yeah. but uh, Kopech went down um, yesterday. Today, Lance Lynn's going to start, which is going to be great. But you, you shove Johnny Cueto into a relief appearance that he had no idea was coming. But... Yeah, we really want to talk about the one-two intentional walk here. The situation changed. I think a lot of people are just looking at it in a, in a vacuum right now. Like, oh, he walked Trey Turner on a one-two count. On 0-2, 
there was a wild pitch that allowed a runner to advance to second base. Still, got a one-two count on Trey Turner, dude. Yeah. Go after him. I, I, I don't really understand that one. He's like, do you, do you see his numbers in a one-two count against lefties or two-strike yeah. counts against – Two-strike like, counts what? against lefties. Have you seen Muncy's uh, two-strike you know, splits and all that shit? Which didn't make sense because you had zero strikes on Muncie at that point when you're, when you're starting the new at-bat. He's an idiot, dude. I mean, like, he – there's nothing impressive about Tony the way that he manages in-game or the way that he manages a post-game press conference. He said – was there really any question about that? Because that was the right move. What do you mean? That that was the craziest part is he was like baffled that he got a question about the fact that he intentionally walked not only one of the fastest players in baseball, and yes, he's been swinging it great, but it's a one-two count. You're one pitch away, one borderline call, one bad swing away from just getting the guy out. And and what what made me more concerned about it is – if he really came out and just said, yeah, you know, I went against the grain there. It was like the equivalent of, you know, just, just be doing the opposite of what the book says when I'm playing blackjack and just going by feel. I'd be like stupid, but whatever. But the fact that he was like falling back on this, well, have you seen his strikes against lefties or his, his uh, numbers against lefties with two strikes? Like who cares? Uh, who, who really cares about that? And then beyond that, to, to go give a nod to Max Muncy, have you seen his numbers with two strikes against? You don't have two strikes on Max Muncy yet. You got to get there, and getting the first two strikes is, is harder than getting the last strike a lot of the time. I, I just don't really understand how, how that could be the approach that we take here and uh, that he could stand by it and defend it. I think it's absolutely nuts uh, that Tony LaRusa is able to just kind of do whatever he wants in that dugout. And he's got to be losing the players. I mean, there's not one player on the team, I think, that would defend that that move and, and feel confident that the guy steering the ship is uh, steering the ship well. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare any drunk driving jokes. Yeah, do, uh, thank you for that. Um, do you think that he has any hands on the ship steering wheel? Like, I, I think he is beautifully oblivious to the fact that he was the tabbed driver of the ship i well, mean his hands are on the steering wheel I, I i would say that he took the steering wheel and just yeeted it like into yeah. a pole in that game like I, that, that's exactly what he did I, he has the ability to legitimately screw things up and in some spots he fully is there are you know there are moments within a white Sox season last year and this year where you think how can we get worse than this? And we shouldn't have to do that. Like as a fan base, you shouldn't have to do that. How can we get more stupid than this? Because one stupid thing should be a standalone stupid thing and you should learn from your mistakes. But it's almost like Tony LaRusse is continuing to push the envelope of stupidity. It's like, oh, let's see how he's going to better this. And chances are before the end of the year, he may better that. That's not going to be I his hope. worst thing. I hope so I hope. too. That would be hilarious, and that would make sports talk radio, that would make podcasts love Tony LaRussa because you always expect something stupid. Let's see if he can do something more stupid. I, I'm, I, I think he's going to, so I, I'm very excited to see that. I wish he was a little bit more uh, – I wish he gave more answers on the press conferences because they, they'd be even dumber, uh, yeah. but he keeps it kind of short because I think he knows that he will – he will kind of tell on himself in these press conferences if if, if he does not uh, keep it short. Uh, but but the guy has no clue what he's doing anymore. 
I'm honestly surprised he's even enjoying himself at this point. Like, I I almost think that he's got to be miserable uh, and and just doesn't even want to do this anymore. Like, why is he even doing it? Um, I guess the money, but, but I don't really understand. I don't think he's enjoying it. Like, I I don't know what Tony LaRussa is doing. And again, I tried to imagine, I know people are saying, oh, it's not as bad inside the clubhouse as you think or blah, blah, blah. And I I don't know. I can't pretend I know what's going on in there, but I just can't even fathom a world where Tony LaRussa is, is seeing eye to eye with not only Tim Anderson, but how about just the rest of even Yasmani Grandal? Like, I don't, I don't even see him seeing eye to eye with Yasmani Grandal. I don't see him seeing eye to eye with legitimately anybody not named Lance Lynn. So uh, for whatever reason, I feel like Lance Lynn and him can get along. All right. Cause Lance no. says, I'm going to go out there and chuck a bunch of fastballs. And like, that's it. I'm going to send you, I listen, just don't man. really know, man. I'm going to send you the inning that Lance Lynn was on NBC Sports Chicago because you're going to have this new appreciation for Lance Lynn and you'll put him in the league above Tony La Russa. Oh, that guy's hilarious and he's got everybody's back. What I will say is hearing from so many players and in interviews and, you know, just like constantly monitoring that situation because I, I thought Tony would have lost the clubhouse by the time he came in. And I actually think he's established a little bit of capital within that clubhouse. And I do think that, you know, there are some guys that, that like Tony LaRussa. I do. Um, TA has, has spoken about he and Tony's relationship and, you know, obviously it got off on the wrong foot because the hiring of Tony LaRussa will tell you enough, but um, uh, apparently they do like each other. Tony LaRussa does not have the confidence in the clubhouse. I don't think, but no way. I, I think that he is liked in the clubhouse. I don't think that he's a dickhead. Um, I think that he wants the best for everybody. I just think that he's an idiot when it comes to managerial decisions now. Um, And it's not even like he was an outdated thinker. Like, you know, you can go back to his time in St. Louis or his first stint with the White Sox. And I've heard multiple people through anecdotes say that Tony LaRusso was not a great decision maker back then either. He's been surrounded by a lot of talent. He's been surrounded by Albert Pujols and Adam Wainwright and Chris Carpenter. Like it was never Tony LaRussa a la, I'm thinking like, I don't know what manager has willed their team to a world series. I don't think there is one. Uh, Yeah. That's a thing. I think we over attribute, you know, the next to nothing. The manager has next to no control once the first pitch is thrown. Yeah, I, you know, and, and especially in older baseball, I think now it, the, the manager has more of a responsibility because of the matchups, the shorter starts, the, the bullpen management, the splits. Uh, like, like there's a little bit more to it, I think, now, as dumb as that sounds, because back then you could just ride a starter into the seventh, go to your setup guy, and then go to your closer. Like it, there was not that much to, to, to go with. Splits were not as important. Clarify back then. Guys. Clarify back then for me, because a starter going seven is like 10 years ago. 20 years ago was like, oh, we'll just run them out for nine. Our best guys. Yes. Yes. And and like, that's my point. So, you know, I I think it's just a different game. And, and, you know, I I don't like taking away from from championships and things like that. But at at the end of the day, I, I feel like a manager can only do so much for you and they can hurt you more than they can help you. I, I almost like you could just have a neutral status quo manager and several teams would win, still win their championships, right? Like if you could just put an automated neutral manager, like robot manager, I, I really feel like a lot of teams would, would still have won their titles. Yeah. A zero war manager, um, a zero war manager. And, replacement and that's the thing. Level. I think Tony LaRussa, much like Joe Girardi, who we'll get to in a moment here, like, I, I guess they were negative war managers. I know for sure that Tony LaRussa is a negative war manager. I'm less sold that 
Um, Joe Girardi was a negative war manager. I thought that he was just a zero war manager. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tony, like there are so many bad decisions that he makes baseball wise and off the field in recent years, but through the course of a game, baseball wise that just continue to kick his ass. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do think that a lot of these teams, and I don't think that we are demeaning managers or championship teams. I actually think that we're putting more credit in the players hands Mm -hmm. because the players are the ones that like win the championships, like the the players, you know, win games. This is the, that's one that I talked to like to Jeff Conine about it. Cause if you remember like the Marlins 2003 world series, they, they, uh, they were horrible through the first couple months. They fired their manager and then Jack McKeon steps in and, and, you know, McKeon obviously helps lead the Marlins to the, to the world series. And I asked Jeff, you know, kind of, you know, what, what did McKeon do that was so great? And he's like, honestly, he, he took his hands off the reins a little bit. Got out of our way, go out there, play, have fun and, and just play with nothing to lose. Like, you know, we already fired the, the manager. You guys are 10, 12 games under 500. Play with the house's money and and see how it goes. And he said that was the most liberating feeling. And actually, the, one of the craziest things about McKeon is he almost never went to the bench. Like he, he stuck with the starters almost every single day. Like there was no platoons. There was not much of this, not much of that. Like that's what McKeon did. And, and the Marlins won the World Series. So you know, it's just one of those things. And again, I think there's instances where you can point towards the manager making that difference or in a positive or negative way. But I look at even like Tennessee and is anybody nice going to, yeah, but, but is anybody going to look at Tennessee and be like, Tony Vitello, you know, just came up short in that three game series, you know, that, for those wondering, that's, that's Tennessee's coach. And like, no one's going to say that, right? Like no one's going to be like, is Tony Vitello uh, on the hot seat after a really disappointing postseason display with one of the most talented teams ever? I know it's different in college because you literally put the team together and you recruit them. But my point is no one's looking at Tony and being like, he, he could have managed that team better uh, in, in that three game set. He, he, he could have been an in control more so in that three game set. Um, But it, it is pretty shocking that Tennessee goes down here to Notre Dame. And I, I don't think anybody had that happening, right? I mean, you guys did the college baseball episode. I listened to most of it and, and it was really kind of just, are you taking the field or are you taking Tennessee? And, and yes, you want to say the field, but you almost had to talk yourself into saying the field. Yeah. Um, Peter Flaherty, who is um, the, what's his title? He, he went over it. So assistant general manager, is he the assistant GM, of the Ketua Kettleers? It's, it's like GM liaison. Is that, yeah, he is might that be what the he GM called it? Liaison of the Basically what he does is he talks to every professional scout, every team, every whatever, every time they come in town, but also he helps put together the Katuit Kettleers roster, which is the Cape Cod league team. So he knows every college roster, like the back of his hand, because he's always looking for players to, to go over into the Cape. And, you know, one of his best finds I think is Nick Gonzalez, because he was one of the first guys to really say, Let's give Nick Gonzalez a shot at the highest level, uh, at the highest college level, and see how he does because I believe in him. And, you know, Nick obviously went into the next stratosphere in the Cape. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Pete knows his shit. <laughs> Pete knows his shit, and Katuit's got a Cam Collier right now as well who's going to go top 10 in this year's draft. So um, that's going to be that's gonna be fascinating to see where he goes, and he's got the next uh, couple of weeks, um, next month or so, out on the Cape with Katuit. But 
Uh, Pete Flaherty and I both couldn't talk ourselves into the field. You know, we talked about Tennessee versus the field. We both picked Tennessee. Uh, King Apple, um, he went with uh, Oregon State. So I guess he technically went with the field. But yeah, I what was so fascinating to me about Tennessee, and you're right, like you can't pin that on the coach. And by the way, college baseball head coaches are head coaches. When you get to professional baseball, they are managers. Yes. Short season A ball. The Auburn Double Days, I walk into manager Rocket Wheeler's office. Rocket Wheeler, a, a minor league great. And I sit down for the first pregame coaches show. And I start with, here were the head coach of the Double Days, Rocket Wheeler. And he reached over, tapped the stop button on my phone, stopped recording and said, let's get one thing straight here. I know you just came from all that, all that college stuff. I'm the manager of this team. I'm not the head coach of this team. And I never made that mistake again. I never will make that mistake again because he's not the head coach. He's the manager. But uh, in college, you are the head coach. Um, The the thing about Tennessee is, yes, like you got to pin that a little bit on the head coach because of the recruiting and all that in a typical instance. But you're right. This was one of the best college teams ever created. I mean, we went over it with Pete Flaherty, one through eight at 12 plus homers. Um, And you've got Chase Dolander, who's going out. That looks like he could be the number one overall pick as an arm next year. And then you got Ben Joyce, who's throwing 60 pitches at 103 miles an hour. It's ridiculous. Um, And they they lose to Notre Dame. Um, There was one video that started circulating of of Drew Gilbert getting tossed from a game. Yes. That was objectively hilarious. I texted you, we must talk about this. So, and I actually was watching that one live, which was awesome because uh, like just watch, I went to the kitchen and I just hear the, you know, like when you hear like the announcers kind of break their, their, their general like cadence, like what's going on here. It's like, and that's where I was like, so I I jumped, I was like, okay, I'm going to come over and look. And I see. I missed the initial, like, you're out of here. And and all I see is, is basically the entire Tennessee dugout, like every coach running out there like, what, what the hell, what the hell? And then everybody was at first, even the announcer was a color guy. And I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot who, who was on the call for that game, but the, the color guy was like, Oh, I don't like this throwing a guy out of the super regional hate this, like, you know, ump show, blah, blah, blah. And I was in the same boat. I'm like, you know, why are you tossing this kid? They cut it to replay and, and everybody's probably seen this clip by now, which is just him looking back. And he looks like the obnoxious bully in, in like a, you know, a nineties movie, just the way he's talking, just so much like lip action, like face crinkled up. And, and Drew Gilbert could be a great guy. I, I, I'm like, I, I don't want to just, I don't know Drew Gilbert. So I'm not going to like rip him as a person, but I'm just going to tell you what he looked like here. That's, that's fucking terrible. Like, that's fucking terrible. And, and the eye black warrior streaks going down yes. his cheeks, those don't do him any favors there. No. And here's the thing. I, it's sad that he got tossed. Did it maybe change the complexion of the series? Maybe. But their whole lineup, like you said, 12-plus homers. I don't think one bat's really making a difference. Still, you can't say that to an umpire and then be shocked that you got tossed. And that was my favorite part. He gets tossed. And his mouth is frozen wide open like like he saw a ghost. Like he was floored that he could tell someone that they were fucking terrible multiple times and not be tossed. Like what was he getting away with in conference play? Not even that. I think our guy Michael Fisher at Codify said, listen, after watching so much of this, you can say that. Do not make eye contact. 
And he was staring directly at the home plate umpire, direct eye contact, saying, that's fucking horrible. That's fucking horrible. What are you with, doing? Like, with like the face and like the, the, yeah. the man, like, and, I don't and, even know. Like, he's, yeah, he's like offended that he just got tossed. Like, what do you think is going to happen? You just <laughs> demeaned this guy to his face. Eye contact. Yeah. You deserve to get tossed. Um, also, they, that was uh, Tom Hart and Kyle Peterson, I think, doing Tennessee and Notre Dame, who uh-huh. I will stand by professional baseball or college baseball. That's the best baseball booth on television. Tom Hart. No, I, I enjoyed Peterson. it. They're so good at what they do. They've got, you know, SEC Network, like, you know, those primetime games every weekend. I hope they'll do the College World Series. I think Tom Hart's going to do it over over Carl Ravage this year because he's got Sunday Night Baseball. But it's Tom Hart, Kyle Peterson, Chris Burke. That is the best baseball booth anywhere. Um, and, and I love Kyle Peterson. I, I am totally with you. Like, immediately you side with the player. Like, this is one of the biggest games of his life, of his life. Yeah. You can't toss him from that. But when you make direct eye contact and pretty much say, fuck you and fuck your, fuck your family, like yeah. I, you're getting tossed. Well, that's the immediate switch, right? That was the immediate, immediate flip-flop for me was it went from, this is the most important game of your, of this player's life. Don't toss him to, this is the most important game of all of your teammates life. You can't just hold it in. And, and he could have looked at him and been like, that's terrible. Like I, I, it was really the multiple that's fucking, I think he even got away with the first one. It was like the yeah. second one where the umpire's like, all right, man, like get, get out of here. You know, and, and that you screwed your teammates there because you couldn't, you couldn't hold it in. You couldn't zip it. And uh, you know, th- that is, that is pretty nuts. I, I understand their kids, you know, and, and like we're at the point now where we're, we're older than these guys by, by a handful of years, a lot of these dudes. And, I'm not going to pretend like it, you know, 20 years old, I wouldn't do some, some dumb things, 19 years old, but even playing in high school, I, I, I never said a word. <laughs> I was always too scared. I, I like, why, for what? You're not going to get him to change the call. You're not going to make him a better umpire by yelling at him. And uh, clearly he paid the price, but, but the funniest part to me was just his face, just the, the wide open jaw drop frozen there like he saw a ghost and that was my favorite part but i want to wrap up real quick with just you know the college baseball field right now yeah. uh get a little bit of talk on that and then we'll we'll, we'll get into Bueller, dodgers judge and, and a little bit of everything else that we want to touch on but re- yeah. real quick on the on just the college baseball front the fact and just baseball period the fact that tennessee lost is what makes baseball so great is there is no way that you really know who's going to win before the end of the season. And and I don't want to bash basketball because I love basketball. And right now there's a lot more parody in the NBA, but to me, there was no worse time in NBA history in my lifetime than when you knew who was winning the finals almost every year going into it with, with that warriors team for consecutive seasons. Yeah. You just kind of knew or at least you knew who was going to be there, right? Like you knew they were going to the finals. It was LeBron versus Stephen Durant every year. And and Tennessee, Tennessee didn't even make it to the college world series. So, you know, like that's something that, that I really love about baseball. Um, It's so unpredictable and, and Notre Dame, you know, I don't, I won't even pretend to know much about him. Like I, I, I kept asking, do they really have it like this or is this lightning in a bottle? And I think it's a little bit of both, Uh, but I've really enjoyed so far, you know, the college baseball landscape. I've been trying to watch as much as I can, and it's been really enjoyable. It's good late night watching because of the weather, the West Coast, whatever. I've had so much fun watching Stanford. They can swing it like anybody. 
Um, and, and dude, this is going to be a really fun college world series because it gives you a little bit of everything. You have that Cinderella ish teams, you have the, the, you know, behemoth tough, whether it's Auburn or Oregon state or Stanford, you're going to have those teams in there potentially too. It's going to be a really fun field, man. And uh, I, I, I really encourage people to watch some college baseball uh, because the other part that I love Jack is that no games ever over. I'll throw a, a 10, five game on in the sixth. And you know that it's not even near over. It might as well be a one-run game in MLB standards. Yeah. No, I mean, just look at just look at those Oklahoma State regional scores, right? Those were ridiculous where a team would rattle off like 10 runs in an inning and then they would the other team would reciprocate with, you know, 10 runs of their own in the next half inning. Um, what's the best event? What is the best event in all of sports? I think you and I both agree on it. I think it's the NCAA men's basketball. That was the final four. I was just going to say the NCAA men's basketball tournament as a whole. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because Gonzaga can lose in the Sweet 16. That's yeah. why it's so fun. Um, yeah. Because you've got teams that pull off that crazy upset. You have the Florida Gulf Coast. You have the Oral Roberts. You have the St. Peter's that shows up. Um, but then at the end of it all, you have a team that is pretty worthy of winning, hoisting the trophy. That's yes. how the NCAA baseball tournament works, too. That's how the Women's 100%. College World Series works, too. There's so much fanfare in the Women's College World Series and the Men's College World Series, but Oklahoma was very deserving. And yeah, on that one, it might have been Oklahoma versus the field and Tennessee's out and it's Tennessee versus the field. But I promise you the team that wins the College World Series this year is going to be more than deserving. There's no, there's never, I've never seen a fluky champion. Even Coastal Carolina, the year Coastal Carolina won. I mean, they steamrolled. I mean, like they were just impressive, 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 uh, you know, like, and, and that was a team that ended up now. Now Coastal is a legitimate program. Like it, it is never really like that was kind of their coming out party. And, and now they're viewed as, you know, even though they're not a power five school, they are a legitimate, legitimate program similar to ECU in some ways. And even then you can validate it by saying, you know what, like, McCambly was committed to coastal when that all happened, you know, yeah. like we just talked to Zach McCambly, Steven Matz had committed to coastal before he bypassed to, to go to the draft. Like coastal was a good program. They got really good players and then they ended up winning the whole damn thing. Mm -hmm. So now they're consistently churning out very talented rosters. That's what one national championship can do for you. Um, but you know, these, these teams, you can't win it all without a shit ton of talent. Like yeah. that coastal roster had some really good talent I mean, you oh, yeah. even look overseas. You remember when Leicester City had that Premier League run when they yes. weren't supposed to win? They still had some of the best players in the world. Like Jamie Vardy was like one of the best players in the world at that time. I think N'Golo Conte was on that team, right? And, and he's considered so. one of the best, like, you know, center defensive mids, right? So they, they ended up having players that, that spun off into other areas and ended up playing for some of the best clubs in the world. In, in any sport, you can't win a championship without talent. Again, we're yeah, putting it, it on the no players. There's no fluky championships. Yeah, like, great. You want to give Jay Wright some credit at Villanova. Guess what? He's still at Archidiacono and Chris Jenkins the first time. He's still at Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges the second time. Like He put together a great team. He put yeah. together great teams. That's what's going on here. Everybody's trying to win. I love listening to Tito Francona on the pregame coaches show on, on the guardians radio. I love listening to Tom Hamilton. That sounds super random, but um, yeah. I love listening to the guardians radio and I love hearing Tito Francona speak pregame. And, and the thing that he keeps on expressing every major league baseball team is really good. And they're all trying to win every game. That's how college yeah. baseball works too. Yeah. Notre Dame, like 
if you just look around the high school landscape, Notre Dame's commitment class every year is just full of really fucking good high school kids, just like Tennessee. There are a lot of really good yeah. baseball players. It's just they're going. not they're not perf- they're not perfect game they're not perfect game top twenty they're perfect game top one fifty yeah exactly. and maybe There's perfect game was a little yeah yes maybe perfect game was a little wrong you know right. like that's like, the craziest part it, it, it's not like every MLB draft is chronological by perfect game ranking right <laughs> that's the other crazy part of it too uh, and, and then that's where you get into like development and things like that as well. Uh, but, you know, Notre Dame, they've got pitching uh, and, and that, that's what's really impressive. But, you know, timely hitting guys that just rise to the occasion. I, I The last thing I want to say in college baseball, I love Stanford. I, I don't know what yeah. it is. I watch the Stanford team. I'm having a blast. Yeah, Obviously, Brock, Brock Jones, Jones and Tommy or uh, not Tommy Troy. Yeah, Tommy Troy. Right. Tommy Troy. But, you know, it's crazy. I'm watching this guy, Braden Montgomery, man. And like, it, you know, I, I tried not to put like the, the prospector hat on and whatever and but then I'm just watching this guy swing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to follow this guy up until his draft day. Like, what yeah. is, is he going to be draft eligible next year? Nope. He's a freaking freshman. He's got 18 pumps. He's he hit 298 this year as, you know, freshman. So he didn't have as much consistency, but he could throw on the mound, crazy arm, crazy athlete. His swing is like beautiful from the left side. I'm so in on this dude. And I asked Pete Flaherty, I was like, this guy could be a top five pick in, in two years, right? He goes, he could be the top the top pick in a couple of years. And so this Stanford team is really fun. And also Brock Jones is, you know, going scorched earth right now. So, um, so I'm, I'm enjoying Stanford. They still got to get to the college world series. We got a rubber match uh, later today. UConn so, baby. <laughs> UConn's been some story too. And it, which is really funny because I went to see UConn play at FIU, Florida International University. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was Jeff Conine's first home game. I promised I'd go. I go out and watch the game with Griff. And um, <laughs> it was just, I, I mean, FIU got knocked around, but FIU's not that great. I, I would have bet a lot of money on UConn not being a, a super regional team one game away from the College World Series at that moment. Uh, I knew uh, they looked good. I would not have bet that. And, you know, that's, that's the other thing, too, is teams get so much better as the year goes on. So many yeah. guys kind of, like, figure things out as the year goes on. Everybody's so malleable because they're young and getting their first, you know, experience with college weight program and, like, yeah. college trainers and, like, some people actually telling them, hey, you're not the best thing to ever touch a baseball field. And all of a sudden, these guys kind of take their game to the next level. How many teams did we see? I mean, ECU, I think, was 500 through their first 20-something games and then yeah. just went – on a tear like that's the cool thing about the college baseball season too is all these players are so young and malleable yeah. that it can go from lost to found very quickly uh in that world and and that's what's really cool about college baseball as well yeah 100 man and I, i'm excited to see what omaha looks like we'll get going in omaha on friday um today's the last day of the super regionals so uh yeah it's gonna be really fun and Put Omaha on your baseball bucket list. I know you've been out there. Oh, yeah. I've been out there. It's incredible. I like Omaha as a town year-round, but that place. Yeah, it's hot take. That's a hot take. But. Is it a hot take? But, I mean, it's, yes. it's Brigadoon-ish where it pops up for, uh, you know, Brigadoon was like once every 100 years. Um, Omaha is, you know, for, for a week every year, and everybody converges on Omaha, Nebraska. And that place is a big ass party for a week. It's a college. It's yeah. It's, awesome. a, it's a college atmosphere. It's awesome. It's so it's awesome. cool. So yeah. Put Omaha on your bucket list. I still got to get out to Williamsport for the little league world series. Uh, that's but, on our, that's on our list too. That's hundred yeah. percent on our list too. I, I think uh, Williamsport and Omaha should be two things that you put on your bucket list. And 
both in different ways are kind of baseball at their purest forms, which is, which is really cool. Um, and, and, and I really, it was really cool to, to see that last year. I want to talk about Walker Bueller real quick, because, you know, I mean, we, we knew something wasn't right. Right. I mean, the guy had a four Oh two ERA before going on the IL with that, with that forearm strain. Um, you know, it's going to be a while. Uh, that that's pretty much all we know is that it's going to be a while. Um, and you know, the tough part with it is it's typically an indicator of, of some other issue. Um, and again, we don't like to try to speculate, but you know, I, all I know is I, I look at Jesus Lizardo with the Marlins and I, I just talked to him the other day and uh, when we were at the game and, you know, it, it, he, he says he feels good, you know, and he had a similar forearm issue and it was more precautionary to shut down, but he's like, there's a level of, you just want to make sure you're 150% good to go before, you know, you fully, fully start ramping it up again. And I feel like the Dodgers are going to do the same thing with Walker Bueller. Like I know Marlins media keep asking the, the Marlins PR guy when I'm there, you know, what's the update on Lizardo? And they're like, you know, we, we don't have much, you know, we, we're just kind of taking it day by day. And yeah. you know, that's kind of how you have to do it, but that's not the answer that fans want. That's not the answer that, that the media wants. And I think we're seeing that, you know, that's going to be the case with Walker Bueller here. And yes, the Dodgers have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the starting pitching side, but no one's replacing Walker Bueller. And if we're talking about, you know, how the game has to be won uh, before you just crown somebody a champion. The Dodgers have kind of proven that to us every single year, except for 2020's Mickey Mouse season. Uh, I, I, I really think that this, this could be an interesting development here for the Dodgers. How do you replace Walker Bueller uh, or not even replace? How do you try to fill some of that void and, and how long is Bueller going to be out? Can they stay afloat similar to the Mets or are they going to feel this one a little bit more? I think a lot of that rides on Clayton Kershaw's ability yes. to come back and actually help. Yes, 100%. And and I was going to say, you can't replicate or even attempt to fill in Walker Bueller with one guy because the thing about Walker Bueller and the intrigue and what makes him one of the best pitchers on the planet is the consistency, the lock to throw 200 innings in a season. You know you're going to get one of the best pitchers in the game for 200-plus innings that year. Like that's That's what Walker Bueller is. You're not getting that from anybody else. Like you cannot replace Walker Bueller with anyone in Major League Baseball, much like how you can't replace DeGrom and Scherzer with anybody in Major League Baseball. The Red Sox can't replace Chris Sale with anybody in Major League Baseball because they're all unique. And what they bring to a mound is so unique. And Bueller, I mean, his MO is consistency. He's going to go out much like what Sandy Alcantara is doing right now. He's going to give you at least six, probably seven, maybe eight on a good day nine. That's what Walker Bueller does. Um, before we get any farther with the Dodgers and with Bueller, I do want to make sure that everybody listening to this podcast understands that when you see forearm with pitchers, slam the panic button. Yes. It's going to be yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, and that sucks because, again, like part of his, his MO is the durability. And, yeah. and now you don't want to run him into the ground. Even when he comes back, you're going to want to tread lightly. And that's part of what's great for him. Yes. Um, You know, you look at Bueller now with the forearm, Lance McCullers with the forearm. McCullers is, you know, look at what we're seeing right now. Ambiguously out for a long time. Yep. Uh, Lizardo, kind of same thing, right? Like Bueller, I was just, you know, quickly skimming an article on fan graphs because I was looking for the timetable and no throwing for eight weeks. And then I'll start with a light throwing program. That might get worse. Like that's best case scenario. You're shut down for two months. That's and that's that's the thing. So you're shutting down for eight weeks and then seeing how it feels. It might feel like shit. 
And and that's the scary part. And, and you know, that sucks because I love Walker Bueller. I love watching him pitch. And uh, let's assume they don't have him for, let, let's say, the majority of, the, of this season. Let's say this year, dude. Yeah, let's let's say he's out. And obviously, we're, we hope very much so that that's not. Oh, my God. I want him back September 1st. Yes. I like watching yeah. him throw every single. You know, like, he's my favorite pitcher in baseball. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, but what what do the Dodgers look like? I mean, look, they're, they're still in great shape. But Tony Gonsolin's going to come back to earth a little bit. Yeah. I, I do think that's going to happen. I think Tyler Anderson has, even though a lot of the advanced metrics point towards Tyler Anderson somewhat you know, being what he is, right? Like he's not just having a lot of good luck right now. Like he's throwing pretty well. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a, a 307 ERA guy. I mean, Julio Arias, even he, I think is going to regress a little bit. Kershaw being back hedges some of that. Uh, Kimbrell has been pretty terrible uh, out of the bullpen. I, I like a lot of these minor league arms, Jack, but as we've talked about, they they baby their, their pitching prospects. Uh, yeah. They baby... Uh, a lot of their top guys. Do you think that we see them kind of force some of these double A guys up? I mean, we saw Ryan Pepe out. He showed flashes, but that's not a guy I think you trust to, no. to just slide into the rotation. Do we see them now go to, you know, some of their double A prospects here and, and give them a shot? Uh, we see the double A jump kind of everywhere. We've seen it multiple times now across the game. Do the Dodgers force up Bobby Miller? Do the Dodgers force up one of these guys to try to slide into that rotation? <sighs> That's tough. Um, I think they could get creative. I think that Bobby Miller could come up and go four, five max. Um, I think and he hasn't been good, by the way, in double A. I know um gavin stone yeah stone's been good right stone's been outrageous yeah stone's been outrageous stone has a 1590 ra in 51 innings and, 68 and, k's 11 walks jesus dude yeah i mean like in a perfect world you don't speed up anybody's timeline but this is not a perfect world walker bueller's on the shelf this isn't a perfect world um, much like what you said about Kershaw being an X factor, I think Dustin May is going to be an X factor. He comes back uh, maybe end of July, early August from Tommy John. If May is ready and he's unleashed for the rest of the year, that's big, big, big for them. Um, I think they can get creative. I think Pepio for three, Stone for three, like that's what an outing could look like. It's a divide and conquer thing with young arms. But here's the thing is, is the bullpen hasn't been as great as we're accustomed to. I mean, you look at Craig Kimbrell, 4-4-2 ERA. Bruce Dark Gratterall, 4-2-80 ERA, although I argue he's never even really been that good of a Yeah, reliever. so I, I've i got a question about Gratterall. Is he, a, is he a great reliever? No, he's not. He never has been. He never has been. I I, I, I don't understand. I, I understand the allure the Bruce Tucker Adderall, he throws really fast and it moves so much. It moves right into barrels or it moves out of the strike zone. So I don't really care. If you want to use the term, if you want to use the term eye test, Bruce Tucker Adderall passes the eye test with flying colors. Yes. Yes. He fails every other test. And and, and that's the thing is the eye test only matters so much, right? Like this is a dude that has a 413 ERA in 93 and two thirds innings. I, like this is not somebody that's been good 
uh, really as a bullpen arm at, at really any juncture. He was a starter and they moved into the bullpen. Oh, he'll dominate there. He isn't. And I think he's being leaned on like a guy that's better than he is. And I think they're hoping that this stuff will kind of come together and he'll figure out how to put together an arsenal that strikes out guys in a way that we would expect. 22 Ks in 27 innings when it's 102 with movement. <clears throat> Who cares? Who cares? So I look at the rest of this team bullpen wise and, and they've got a little bit to figure out there too. They're not really shortening starts. And if you're going to go committee piggyback, whatever you got to have better than four, four, two, four, two, eight. Um, even Vessia is at a three, three, eight, which is not what you want from your lefty specialist. Yeah, uh, I love a, Vessia, you know, modern day lefty specialist. It's been rough. Yeah. I, I love Vessia. I think that he can uptick now. I, I think that he, that's the he type will. of guy. Yeah. He can show up for the moment. I think that's what Vessia is. Um, yeah. I mean, like it's going to be really interesting and, and how long can Evan Phillips go because he's averaging yeah. about an inning per outing. Um, you know, it's tough. You need some long relievers. You need a, a guy to show up from Oklahoma city that just drastically outperforms what he does. And you know what? Maybe it's Pepio, but I don't think Pepio is going to be. I think it's guy. Gavin Stone. I think it's Gavin Stone. Stone. He's yeah, sitting I, mid nineties. Now his command is unbelievable. He gets a ton of ground balls um, and the stuff he's got four pitches. He's comfortable with. I think you can find a way to kind of, if you, you don't need to have the lineup go around three times against him. He can go through the lineup once or twice and, and really help you there. And Gavin Stone has been one of the best pitchers in the minor leagues period this year. And now they're starting to stretch him out a little bit more. He went six innings in his last outing. So, you know, maybe they are trying to get him there because that's rare for Dodgers prospects to go six innings on the bump. Yeah. So I, I saw Stone last year with high A Lake County and he was more impressive than Beater. He was more impressive than Landon Knack, um, you know, like, I think Bobby Miller was a little bit more impressive just because he lit up the radar gun and that's what you look at immediately. But Stone, in terms of results, was as good, if not better, than Bobby Miller last year when I saw him. And I was like, damn, Gavin Stone could be the guy because, again, he was 93 to 95 in that outing. Um, so Stone, I, I'm in on Gavin Stone if he's the guy. I Maybe... You rattled off the numbers. I'm not going to say, you know, like, oh, the stuff looks, you know, premature or something because I haven't watched him yet this year. But um, that was a guy that I was really impressed by in 2021. And if the stuff is as good as the numbers indicate, then he might be he might be ready to rock. Um, Apparently a tick up a little bit as well. And, and that's not a surprise from any pitcher in the Dodger system, as yeah. you know, they usually know how to optimize things for you up there. And, um, you know, and the, I, I'm very interested to see if the Dodgers go outside the org or if they decide to go inside the orgs and say have several arms at the double A level that are, you know, kind of close to, to ready and see the way the Dodgers decide to approach that. You think they can go deal for Montas or Luis Castillo? I think they can whenever they want. So, you know, whenever that's the want. question, right? I mean, they, they have Andy Pajes, they have Miguel Vargas, they have all these guys too that you know they could easily go and package and, and trade. All right, let's um, let's, so, let's make a deal for Luis Castillo. What does it look like? I mean, they can kind of do whatever they want, right? I mean, they 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 could they could trade. I mean, I, I'm assuming they're not trading Cartaya or Miller. I, I think you, they they could trade Michael Bush. They could trade Ryan Pepiot and throw in James Altman. You Is think that not? A, I think that might be an overpay. I, it might be. That's incredible. They've got so much, and, depth. and they're not—they're not feeling that at all. How about no. like Yorbit Vivas or Eddie's Leonard? Like, like they could—I could probably make eight iterations of this trade 
with their top 20 and all of them are, are, are approved, you know, like they're all approved. I don't want to trade Pajes or Vargas. I really don't. So like, I, I don't think even if you have to trade one of those guys, then you go Pajes or Vargas, and then you can basically tap into beater or outman or stone who I wouldn't trade Michael Grove. Like there's so many dudes Landon knack. Like they, they could figure out so many iterations of the trade. Like, I, I would say legitimately out of their system, Diego, Car- like all these dudes could be the centerpiece of the deal. Diego Cartaya, Bobby Miller, Michael Bush, Andy Pajes, Miguel Vargas could all be the centerpiece of the deal. Um, or you could go with two of Pepio, Knack, Leonard, Vivas, Wilman Diaz, uh, Maddox Bruns. Those are all guys that two of them are more than enough to almost get the deal almost done. Gavin Stone, Jacob Amaya, like all these guys are, are borderline top 150 yeah. prospects that yeah. could be centerpieces in a deal. It, it is disgusting. Such the is the beauty of player over. development. Do it, do it yeah. in droves because they mastered it. Um, I mean, Tampa with pitching, but the Dodgers, I, the Dodgers spend the money to fill holes that they can't fill with player development. And, and the Dodgers are better pitching lines right now than the Rays are organizationally. Like, like oh, yeah. in, in the, so it just is a testament to not only, oh yeah, they have money. That's great. They also scout, develop, they do everything. Um, and, and you can, you can say that budget helps, but also they, they, they've got a system that works. No, man, go grab a Rays guy and, and take him from the kiddie pool to the Atlantic ocean or the Pacific ocean, <laughs> I guess, if you're going to the West coast, right? Like if Friedman learned the tactics of working in the kiddie pool, and then you just gave him the keys to the castle. Correct. Correct. No, um, like let's wrap up with some Aaron judge. Yeah. Uh, I, it's pretty surreal <laughs> what we're seeing this guy do it feels like every time i you know i check the box score of a yankees game aaron judge is homering every time i go on twitter i see just bb media tweeting a video of aaron judge doing it again here comes um, the judge <laughs> yeah i mean it it's insane 318 391 686 slash line it's a 199 wrc plus yeah 24 pumps in 58 games yeah the question that keeps being asked is does he hit 60 and I think really, I really do think the question is health dependent. I really think that's it. I think that's the only thing that's going to stop Aaron Judge from hitting 60. The only thing that's going to stop Aaron Judge from hitting 60 is Aaron Judge. I love that we talk about Roger Maris, like the home run record still, even though Bonds and McGuire and Sosa like did all I, Yeah, that. well, why, why is Rod, Roger Maris should be like, it shouldn't even be a topic really. Like, is he going to match Maris? Okay. <laughs> Maris I mean, was what I, 60 61 60, 62 60 right no Maris was 61 or 62 I'll tell you right now 61 Roger, 61 61 Maris was 61 yeah in 1961 yeah. he was 61 um yeah I think Judge can get to Maris um it's like imagine what do you call him when he gets to Maris? Oh, he beat the the non-steroid yeah, the clean record. home run record. <laughs> the clean home run record. Congratulations. Which I do put some I do put some stock in. Like, you know, I uh, I, I do. totally believe that. Um doing this in a walk year is incredible. I mean, this is this is the biggest dick on the table moment from yep. a baseball player in modern history. Aaron yes. Judge putting together this year in a contract year after he said that. 
uh, what the, the previous offer he got was nowhere close to what he needed. And like now he's hitting 60 bombs. And we were all like, we were all like, yeah, I think it's pretty close. On, dude, you know, you like a full year in a minute. <laughs> like, like you haven't played a full year. You're 30. Uh, I thought it was a fair offer. And he's like, no, <laughs> I'll show you why it wasn't a fair offer. I'm going to have an, a, a 1077 OPS <laughs> through 60 games of the season. Almost. I, it's, it's, it's comical. Dude, I, okay, so um, I I was thinking about throwing this hypothetical out there. Like, what if he got hurt tomorrow and missed the rest of the year, but was ready to go for opening day next year? What does a contract look like for him? But let's let's mega just imagine, still. still mega, right? Yes. Um, what if he does hit sixty bombs and plays for the rest of the year? What does a contract look like for him? I don't. I don't think we would have ever. We, we would have never seen a higher AAV for a 30 year old ever yeah. other than, you know, offensively, like, I think it would have been like, we've seen Scherzer's AAV, but like, it's, it's one of the weirdest contractual situations I think we've ever seen, right. Where it's like a 30 year old who has one of the best seasons we've seen in the modern era. Uh, and no one wants to give him seven years, but I think someone will have to. So I think it'll be one of those seven year guys that like, it, it would be seven years for what thirty plus a year. More than that, dude. How much is Trout making a year? Thirty-four. Is that is that one? No, I think Trout's making making a little bit more than that. How much is twelve year four twenty six for Trout, including a twenty million dollars signing bonus? Trout makes thirty five point four. Thirty five point four. Okay. What's 270 divided by seventy or by seven? 38.5. How about I think that's about I think it's a little bit less than that. 37 a year would be 260 for seven years. But didn't he turn down 250? No, he turned down 200, I want to say. Okay. For seven. I I think around the 260 range. 250 divided by seven is 35 a year for seven years. How do you say no to that? I think that's what he gets. Seven I think that's what he gets for a 30 year old. Seven years, 250 for a 30 year old is, is I think what he gets with, with, you know, MVP incentives that can, you know, and, escalate it to 270. And and what are the opt outs at the end look like player or club? Oh, he gets player opt outs. I think, but do, do the Yankees do that? I don't think the, the Yankees do that. Do they, do they not do player opt outs? Is that like an organizational thing? I mean, I know Stanton had an opt out because the Marlins gave it to him, and the, yeah, Marlins, the Marlins gave him the deal. Uh, I'm trying to think. When's the last time the Yankee? <laughs> that would be funny as fuck if that came from like Steinbrenner in like the <laughs> when he first got. I might be team. making that up. I have no idea. We control you. <laughs> By the way, no facial hair. Yeah, no facial hair, and you can never opt out. No, Garrett Cole has an opt out. I'm a clueless idiot. <laughs> it's okay um what if judge went to like texas and grew this big ass beard <laughs> wouldn't that be believable though if i literally told you the yankees don't allow opt-outs yes i would totally <laughs> believe that so the I marlins used to do that that so the reason why i believe that is the marlins used to say they used to have a team policy that we don't they don't do opt-outs um because and the marlins used to just take a, a chunk out of the yankees playbook all the time so i was yeah. like I, I, the facial hair thing, they did a similar thing as well. Andrew Kashner had to shave with the fish. Uh, you know, as so I was like, maybe, maybe that they got that opt out thing from the Yanks. They didn't. Um, but anyways, I think he gets seven to 50. 
I think he hit 60 home runs this year. I'll be honest. I, I think he's going to do all the crazy things this year. And um, he's on pace for like a 11, 12 war season potentially. Yeah. Unanimous MVP season. Which is crazy because Mike Trout is playing good baseball. I mean, already all the way back from his 0 for 28 slump yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the way back. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now there's just no doubt. The crazy thing is he's played 25 games in center too. Judge has like he's he's playing center field. Dude. He's playing a great and he looks corner. like a gold glover. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking annoying. It's like so annoying. This guy's and this guy's ridiculous. Um, I he's he's legitimately playing center field at like I think in center he's been average and and in right he's been elite or at least a well above average. Like it is it is unfair. It is annoying. He's a freak and it's just stupid uh, what he's doing right now and. I mean, he, with what the Yankees have pitching wise and what Aaron Judge is doing offensively, I don't know how you can really point towards any other team being the favorite right now. I, I, I got to say, I think the Yankees at this moment, which things change, but gun to my head at this moment, the Yankees yeah. are my favorite. Yeah, me too, um, because of what the starting pitching is doing, because of what Montgomery and what Tyone and what Nestor, obviously, and what Severino are doing, you know, and that's not even mentioning Garrett Cole. Um where do you put judge at this moment? And I know we're so quickly to, we're so quick to uh, just shut it down and be like, this list doesn't change as often as pitchers, like pitchers, the, the top pitcher on the planet, that list changes all the time, but hitters, you know, it's been Mike Trout for a while. And then like Mookie and Juan Soto rounded out the top three for a while. Um, and then Acuna came into the conversation and then Tatis came into the conversation. If the hitter list changed as often as the pitcher list does, um, where is judge in terms of best hitters on planet earth right now, right now at this very moment, is he, is he the top dog? I, I think he's right there. Yeah. I mean, like, like I'm, I'm taking Mike trout, obviously. Um, yeah. Just moving forward I, through the end of the year for me, it's probably trout and then judge. Yes. You know, I think, I think if you took the stats from this point to the end of the season, I think him and trout are going to be hand. Here's the difference is like, I don't know if judge replicates this season exactly next year. Like trout, I think teams will adjust to judge a little bit and whole hit 48 home runs a year. But the thing with trout is like, you this is just a regular year. It's a regular year. So I, I would, I would say that trout's always trout, but Aaron judge to me is, is now in that, you know, elite, bucket of very few guys and like i i even think jose ramirez who is quietly oh, having also the, the most outrageous season ever if we're talking about just hitter i'd put Ju i think judge is right there with trout and like it almost gets impossible to, to stack these guys up with each other but yeah yeah i mean you you talk to hitters you know remember when we were talking on our trip through the south and we we're talking to like griffin conan and we we're talking to a bunch of different guys even zach mccambly uh to bring him up again like and we're like, who, who do you watch? And they're like, dude, not just because of the numbers, just like judges swing. And like, it's yeah. just, just how, how well he is able to repeat his movements for a six, seven guy. Like I've talked to so many different people now, players in the minor leagues. I'm like, who do you watch? And always Mike Trout was always the answer, but now I'm hearing more judge and more judge and more judge and more judge and more people are watching judge. And uh, if he's kind of that, that caricature of what guys want to be, uh, that's kind of one of the prerequisites to, to best in baseball, I think. And we're seeing him start to be more of that guy that everybody wants to emulate. Yeah. Talking to guys in 2019, 2020, um, I heard Christian Yelich all the time. And now you're right. Yes. I'm hearing more and more judge because these are guys, you know, wh when you're the best in the biz at the moment, 
Um, and you do things that are, are so admirable with your swing. Like you mentioned, judge is just point A to point B what Christian Yelich was doing in those like MVP years. I mean, so much of that lower half and so much turn it's, I mean, it, it, it was beautiful. It wasn't sustainable. Of, yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of guys were looking at that. Like I want to be that a lot of guys are looking to judge now and saying I'm six foot, 190 pounds, but I want to be that. And yeah. you can't, you can't, you can't. do it. Um, yeah. Just quickly to wrap a minute on J Ram, because this dude is a freak of nature. Um, he should start at third base in the American league. I know that Rafael Devers is having a great year, but what Jose Ramirez is doing, like he should get MVP votes. That's the thing. Like I know some people are going to vote for Otani, but Otani has been above average in, in two facets of the game. Judge can be the unanimous AL MVP. Trout is so unbelievably good. But Jose Ramirez, dude, like you could argue that the three best hitters in baseball right now are all in the American League. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing about Jose Ramirez. I had this moment. I was watching uh, the highlights, the condensed game uh, from the Guardians the other day. He might be the best slider I've ever seen. He's <laughs> like, incredible. He He's slides incredible. around tags. He comes in full speed. You know, most people, they say, like, don't head for a slide when we were kids because you, you subconsciously slow down. Yeah. Uh, he does it. Uh, you know, it makes me a little nervous, but, like, he comes in flying. And, and that's the thing. Like, Jose Ramirez, I think what he brings you is almost immeasurable in some ways because he is such a good base runner as well, not just on the stolen base front where he has already swiped 163 bags in his career and has nine this year, but also on the front of just taking the extra base, making the slides, doing all the little things. Like, I, if I were to go to try to make a trade, that's one of the first guys I'm going after, especially because contractually he's one of the most robbed players, I think, in modern history. Yeah. Uh, but the guy is walking twice as much as he's striking out. He's hitting 292 while hitting 16 home runs with nine stolen bases. He's striking out seven fucking percent of the time, Jack. And, and, and like he he's a switch hitter who plays good defense at third and I, Again, does the little things like sliding well, he might be one of the most well-rounded, like he might be the best like five-tool player we've seen in a while. Um, and, and I think Mookie's there too, obviously. But J-Ram has this like, I think, almost different notch uh, in terms of just all of the little things he does. I, I love Mookie, but the craziest part about J-Ram, 254 Babip right now, yeah. which is – tied for the lowest of his career. Yeah. <laughs> so it might be a little unlucky so far. J-Ram has 37 extra base hits so far. In 56 games, he's got 37 extra base hits, and he's got 59 ribbies to lead all of baseball. He's a freak, dude, and he's striking out 7% of the time, and he's got 37 extra base hits. I, I mean can't believe that. 16 home runs, 17 strikeouts. And at this point the best that he can finish an MVP voting is third. <laughs> it's incredible. 16 so home runs, 17 strikeouts, Jack. Dude, we can bitch about this sport all we want. We're so lucky to have the dudes playing this sport that we have right now. I, I, I think right now it is one of the most in years. We, we have not really seen this much 
you loaded top end talent. I don't want to hear shit from anybody that says, oh, like, you know, there were there were better eras. Fuck no, dude. This is the best era of baseball we've ever seen in our lives. I mean, you look around the league, the shittiest teams in baseball. The Royals have Bobby Witt Jr. Do you know how transcendent a talent Bobby Witt Jr. could be? Yeah. There is intrigue yeah. on all 30 rosters. It's yeah. incredible. Yep. No, it, it really is amazing. I, I even look just, just across the whole game. I mean, and not just Bobby Witt. Got to give a shout out to like MJ Melendez. Yeah, like, dude. This guy's a rookie. He's played 35 games. He has six homers already. And he's, he's 30% above average by WRC plus. Like, dude, and don't come at me with the Reds because I'm watching Graham Ashcraft throw a hundred mile an hour bowling ball cutters. And he's not even the must see rookie on that team. It's it's freaking Hunter Green right now, who's who's you know blowing it by guys at 102. And that's the the lowly Reds. Like every team has dudes worth watching even the nationals have juan soto Soto. yeah it's it's baseball's in a great spot overall and 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 there's just so much talent top to bottom uh jack any final thoughts uh before we call it an episode no man i mean i just talked about how awesome baseball was i feel like that's the final thought to end all i know i'm like floored i'm floored (laughs) i'm floored i'm usually you complain about baseball on your baseball podcast yeah correct that's that's how how it usually goes here. But uh, now, so really excited about, uh, you know, what we're churning out on on just baseball dot com, continuing to add writers there and basically covering everything. I don't think we miss anything at all anymore, which is crazy. Super fun. And uh, Twitter continues to grow really quickly. We're tweeting out highlights of every single game. So if you're on the road, if you're, you know, at work and you want to keep up. Just follow us at just BB media on Twitter. And we've got the highlights of every game. It's been pretty cool to see, you know, I thought we just hit 5,000 followers on there. And all of a sudden I look back, we're at 5,300 and people are starting to really uh, enjoy the highlights and, and our guys, you know, I've been killing it. Ethan and Elijah have been phenomenal on that yeah. front. Uh, so, you know, really, really excited about what we've got there. Of course, prospect podcast as well, uh, which has been a lot of fun. And that's been humming. Uh, of course, you got to listen to not gambling advice, a lot of fantasy uh, information over there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, also if, if we ever get some episodes of uh, <laughs> college baseball show, the boys <laughs> of spring, hopefully they'll fire out a couple episodes for the college world series. But uh, you know, we're always talking some, some college baseball on here too. And uh, we've got a lot more college baseball written content on just baseball.com yeah. as well. Um, Jack, anything interesting you're seeing on the triple a level over the next couple of days, you're going to see yeah. any guys making a start. Yeah, Indy's in Gwinnett this week. So that that Gwinnett roster has um our our friend of the program Tucker Davidson. They've also got Ooh, Tuck Tuck. They've yep, they've also got Kyle Muller, they've got Tuki Toussaint, they've got Huascari Noah. So I I think That's I'll probably see the it. best minor league rotation in terms of like uh Intrigue. big league pedigree. <laughs> I think yep, that I we'll see. see. <laughs> I I'm going to see a loaded uh I'm going to see a loaded starting rotation in Gwinnett this week. All right, well, let us know who's next up there to go help. The surging Braves, who don't really need that much help in the p- pitching front. We're going to save Spencer Strider for you for next episode, oh, but he's God. been phenomenal. I'm and uh, We'll talk a little Strider there, too, on the next episode, but look out for that guy because he is nasty. That'll do it for this episode. We will talk to you on Tuesday. It'll be Jack and Peter.